You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. We're in our series on wisdom. The question today is simply this. What kind of fool are you? What kind of fool are you? Now, that might be a little offensive, but um, from the book of Proverbs, I think it's accurate. <laughs> We're all, we've all played the fool. I've been a fool in so many ways. I hate to admit any time I've been a fool. And we all want to act like we know it all, have it all together. Um, and boy, it's just not the case. Not at all. Um, so we are talking about when we admit our own foolishness, we're going on the road not taken by most of our society, most of our world. Uh, maybe more so than ever before in our culture, the road not taken is to admit when you are playing or have been the fool or have been foolish or that you don't have all that wisdom. You can't figure it all out. You're not quite sure. And we're not just talking about the fact that you can't understand how to use your smartphone. That is not the kind of, uh, that's not, that's just, that, it's not about technology per se, okay? So today we're going to be looking at this, the path that was not taken, the narrow way as Jesus said last week in the Gospel of Matthew. And maybe the best way to find out what that narrow way sort of looks like is to start on the broad way, on the wide way the way of foolishness that is so common in this world. And so today we're going to be reading a number of Proverbs, and from it we're going to discuss these three points. We're going to define what a fool is, what kinds of fools there are. There's a variety, by the way. And how to be a fool no more. But we're going to first read a number of different Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is written in such a way that it's really meant for you to kind of meditate. Actually, the Hebrew word for meditation is to mutter. It's to kind of like uh, how cows chew their cud. I'm not calling you a cow. I'm just saying, you know, how, how you kind of just let, the, let it kind of be there for a while and think about it throughout the day and keep coming back to it and reflect on it. And the book of Proverbs is written in such a way that it's not like a totally systematic, okay, we're going to define what a fool is here. We're going to go there. Then we're going to do this. It's not a linear book, but it's more like a circular book that keeps going and, and keeps going and keeps kind of going around different issues. And throughout reading the 30-some chapters of this book, you start putting it together, all the pieces kind of fit. So we're going to read, like last week, a number of different places within Proverbs that kind of all fit together. Um, let's read now in the book of Proverbs, starting in chapter 1. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? And how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me, will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. From chapter 8, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, 
Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. And from Proverbs 14, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Proverbs 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Proverbs 16, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 19, strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain knowledge. And finally, Proverbs 21, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So what is a fool? I think the best definition from Proverbs is a fool is unteachable, incorrigible. Do you know anybody who seems to be unteachable? You might be living with them. It might be you. It might be you. There are so many ways I'm unteachable. Yeah. A fool is someone, um, actually a little better definition, is someone who's out of touch with the reality of the way the world is and is such that should know better. So you might have a three-year-old who thinks, ah, I'm going to fly, and decides to jump off the sofa, and as he does or she does, lands and hurts themselves, right? They're not a fool at age three because by that time they still don't know better. They don't understand gravity or physics. But if you're 20 and you decide you're going to, hey, watch this, I'm going to jump over the grill, you know, the lit grill. This is where there's all sorts of videos on TikTok all sorts of videos elsewhere. There's certain shows that I won't name the name of the show, but you might know what the show is that is filled with fools, people who should know better, but don't. They're living out of touch with the reality of the way physics works, OK? So when the Bible talks about a fool, we're not talking about a technological fool. Like I said, it's not about whether you can understand how to set up your email. No. The Bible says a person is a fool who's living out, out of sync with two basic realities then. The first is your creatureliness. We've kind of talked about that a little. It is that when God has created the world, he created it in such a way that things kind of coalesce. They work. Um, gravity stays a constant, OK? Uh, different aspects of your body work, and if you align yourself working with your own creatureliness and the way the world is set up, things often turn out well. That's why Proverbs in chapter 8 goes at long length to personify wisdom as a virtuous woman who has always been there from the beginning. When I, he established the heavens, I was there, Proverbs 8 says. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the firm skies, and then he goes, uh, she goes on and on talking about how I've been there from the beginning. God set up the entire universe out of wisdom. He put things together. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Living aligned 
with the way creation is. It's important. So, for example, you just can't eat anything you want whenever you want. You go, wait a minute, but I... Well, what happens if you just eat what you want whenever you want? Defying your physical givenness of your body. So often what happens is you might not live so long. Now, I know this is an extreme example, and I don't know all the backstory to it, but in 2019, I recall a report from CBS News that said an English boy who eats nothing but French fries, potato chips, and occasional piece of ham has been left blind due to the extreme vitamin deficiency in his diet. <laughs> you just can't eat whatever you want, when you want, how you want, and expect it all to work out. I don't know what the family is like. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what his condition is. But regardless of any of those things, his diet has caused damage to his own body. Now, a more common example is something I remember a friend of mine uh, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Dick. He was a lawyer who was in his 50s when I met him. The problem was he thought he wasn't going to live that long because his dad died at the age of 40 from a heart attack. And so when he was 15 years old and he saw this happen, he just decided, well, what the heck? I'm going to live whatever way I want, have a good time, you know, kind of that uh, bumper sticker phrase, life is unpredictable, eat dessert first. And so he lived that way. He lived hard, as he put it. And so at age 50, he looked at me and said, John, he had so many aches and pains and other issues going on. If I knew I was going to live this long, I would have done something different. He was gaining wisdom. But he faced the consequences. And it's not just true in the physical world that we can do these things, but the moral and spiritual dimension of our lives as well. For an example, if you just live as putting your comfort and pleasure first above all things, if you just want things easy and nice all the time, if you're just going from one fun thing to the next your whole life, and all you're doing is just seeking those things out, guess what starts to happen in your life? You're just going for the immediate rewards. You're probably not going to have a lot of friends. Believe it or not, they don't just want to be around somebody who is only looking out for their own pleasure and comfort. They need to maybe have a listening ear. They may need someone who's going to dig in and help out, who's going to be there when times are tough. And so what happens is your life starts to disintegrate if all you go after is pleasure. There's an orderliness to the way God set up the world. When you start to consider the needs of others, when you live for bigger purposes beyond yourself, what's so amazing is you not only find a deeper purpose in life, but you also find happiness as a result. It's an in, that's the way the world works. You can't just live, up, live the way you want and expect it to always work out the way you want. If you do, chaos. And if you're out of touch with the moral created order of this universe, according to Proverbs, you're being a fool. But there's an, another truth that we have to understand. And that is, not only is this world created and this world is set up in a certain way that God, um, that if I align my life with it, it works out relatively well most of the time. The world is also filled with brokenness. 
you might just live aligned with, you know, working hard, exercising, getting good sleep, conscientious to the needs of your neighbors, giving, praying, going to church all the time. There is no guarantee it always works out nicely. You know, um, there's another book of wisdom in the Old Testament, the book of Job, uh, which is filled with someone you cannot find fault with him throughout the book. In fact, it states very clearly up front that there was no fault in Job. He was righteous before God. And yet, uh, the universe seemed to just fall on him in both directions. And his friends, if you have friends like that, right, they turn out to be fools because they assume, well, if bad things are happening to you, you must have done something bad, Job. They did not take into consideration the brokenness or the fallenness of this world, only God creating it. So you need both. Some people only see the world as ordered. Others see it as broken. You need both. For instance, I was reading an analysis of poverty in the United States, anywhere in the world, actually. It doesn't matter where it is. There are so many amazingly simplistic answers to why are people poor or facing poverty. Many times, liberals will say it's the social structure and bad, unjust systems that are causing people to be living in poverty. That's why people are poor. And many conservatives say it's about personal responsibility and individual work ethic. That's why people are poor. And the answer is so much more complex than just saying, well, they need to work harder, or the system is broken. In fact, you have to have both to understand it. It's much more nuanced when you actually sit down and talk with somebody who is facing poverty and facing difficulties in life. Our system is broken, and people do need to take responsibility both at the same time. So the solutions often that are pushed by people in our society are foolish. Yeah. That means, by the way, According to the book of Proverbs, most politicians are fools. <laughs> Have you ever thought of that? They're fools. They want to just a simple answer, and boom, that's how it all is going to work. So that's what a fool is, someone who's out of touch with the reality of the way the world is in terms of its creatureliness, its createdness, as well as its brokenness. But what kind of fools are there? By the way, there's a variety. There's a variety of people who are fools. Um, you can be a fool in a different way. And sometimes I think I'm all three that I'm going to mention today. And these are just three types. There are probably more. And by the way, it's easier to spot a fool of some other variety than your own. Okay, It's amazing how that works. But all three types are found in Proverbs 1, verse 22. Here it says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? So three Hebrew words are found in this passage that identify three different types of fools. The first word is petayim, and it means kind of the simple one, the gullible fool. The second is lesim. It means a mocker, a critic, a scoffer. 
I think these are our internet trolls that we have these days. And finally, there is the Kesselim, which is stubborn or obstinate fool, the one who is just defiant and rebellious. We're going to look at th these three. First of all, the simple or gullible. Proverbs 14 said, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. So the fool of this variety just believes anything they hear. Do you know anyone like this? That they just, oh, and they just run with what they ever hear. They can't discern the difference between good and bad ideas out there. They're easily influenced. They can't stick to anything for any reason, but the next flashy, new, shiny thing in front of them, they just start to go after. When you see a young, uh, uh, you know, when you are young, you're kind of like wet cement. I remember a book talking about children as wet cement. They're very impressionable when you're young. But as you grow, you are supposed to kind of solidify your ability to make good decisions. But some people just never do. They just don't. Making decisions is hard work. And I'd rather not have to think through it. So they can't delay gratification. They just need to have the instant fun. Focus is on quick and easy, exciting. Relationships are based on intensity of feelings rather than intimacy. And so it's just easy to flit from one thing to the another. When people get bored, they just moved on, move on. Now, that's kind of a simple fool. And believe it or not, Christians can be simple fools as well. You know, when, when you look for the spectacular show from Sunday to Sunday and one high to the next, one great spiritual fix to the next, when people don't settle down and get involved in the, the messy work of relationships within a Christian fellowship, but just kind of move on from time to time, well, that's being a simple fool. Now, don't confuse those simple fools with those who might be less sophisticated. Okay. Just because people haven't traveled the world or read a lot of great books does not make them a fool, does not make them gullible. They can be very in touch with reality of life, their own brokenness, their own simplicity, the, and all sorts of things. The simple fool is one who just will believe anything. And then secondly, there's the obstinate fool. This comes up in Proverbs 15. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. These are the know-it-alls, okay? They're the ones who just don't want to listen to anyone. They believe whatever they want to believe and whatever. They're almost the opposite of the simple fool. The simple fool is gullible or believe anything anybody says. The obstinate is one who will not believe anything, even if the proof stands in front of them. Uh, Jerome Kagan, who's a psychologist from the university, uh, well, Harvard University, he studied human behavior and found out throughout like 36 different countries that uh, the whole question of nature versus nurture, he says yes, okay? The nature side is that people are more or less born with three, one of three different personality types or temperaments. He calls them the anxious type, the aggressive type, and the optimistic type. 
And we're born with that, but we don't have to stay with that. Now, if you have children or um, you might know, or if you're a sibling of others, you might go like, yeah, that's the anxious type. That's the obstinate. Which one am I? <laughs> right? But um, yeah, you can see that. But what parenting does is to try to bring people beyond their nature to be able to have a more expressive and more full understanding of situations. If I'm always anxious about everything in every situation, I end up making some bad decisions. And if I'm always aggressive in how I handle a situation, that too. Or even if I'm always optimistic that things are going to always turn out, sometimes they need to have some planning. So that's why Kagan says, don't assume that just because a person has a temperamental quality, he has no conscious control over it. In other words, this is where parenting comes in. Parenting is essential, he believes, because it's through parenting that a child learns to expand beyond his natural, her natural temperament. And you might go, why are you bringing up parenting? And I'm not really talking about parenting. We all actually need to be parented by God. We all need our Father to lead us and expand us from our natural tendencies and our natural responses and reactions to situations. As Proverbs 16.25 says it this way, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. It's a little strong, but I think that's true. If I just have my default way of handling everything all the time, and I think I'm always right, and I've got my, I don't need to listen to anyone else, it can actually be deadly. It can be very destructive. So we all need to be parent, we are all children of God and we need him as a parent. And God challenges that dark side of your temperament, whatever it happens to be, whether you are an anxious individual or a aggressive individual or a optimistic individual. He challenges that and grows you through it. This is what those trials and struggles you have in life are all about. God is disciplining. He is expanding your horizons so that you know you can make choices that are much more wise over time. But the obstinate fool just won't listen and seems to be one who, no matter what wall God puts up, they bang their head against it. Then finally, the ruthless fool. This comes in as uh, in Proverbs 21. Uh, 24, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So a gullible fool hears a criticism and is overwhelmed by it. The obstinate shrugs off anything anybody says, but the scoffer, when they are criticized, scoffers attack. So the mocker, you know, right now, our social spaces, every form of our media is filled with scoffers these days, critics, trolls, people who just, the number one response is attack, 
um, take the counteroffensive in whatever form, never listen to anyone, never give an inch. And the book of Proverbs says that's foolish, absolutely foolish. A recent op-ed I read in um, this morning states America's foolishness this way. It's our ideology of self-absorption, a freedom deformed by relentless and myopic self-interest. It is the, I'm going to do whatever I want, and you don't tell me what to do, and you're getting in my way, and that it's just this, both an attack against anyone who would infringe on my, quote, rights, an attack on anyone who would get in my way. And that is leading to utter foolishness. In fact, Proverbs will say it this way. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Do you see um, the nuances? Do you see the differences between these three groups? And I think I've been them all. The simple fool, I believe what people say and don't check it out. The obstinate fool, too often, I don't need to learn. And the scoffer, who not only is obstinate, but then attacks the person who is criticizing. So how do we become a fool no more? And it's not really a simple answer. It's just not as simple as like, OK, I'm making a New Year's resolution this year. I'm not going to ever fall for another thing again. That's just so, yeah, it's not the way it works. Proverbs instead kind of puts it this way in Proverbs 8. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my waves. Proverbs is saying that actually no one is naturally wise. No one. I don't care your IQ. I don't care your pedigree. I don't care, I don't care about any of those things. I don't care your temperament. You are not, I am not naturally wise. We're all fools. We all think we're wise when we're not. And what has to change is that attitude in the first place. So how do you make that turn? Paul speaks about this to a, actually a very foolish uh, church in the New Testament. It's called the, book, uh, the Corinthians. Um, they were know-it-alls. And they were kind of at the center in um, Greece. They were at this isthmus where it was a trading center from one side of Greece to the other throughout the Mediterranean world. In some ways, they probably thought they were the center of the universe rather than Rome because they were like, everybody had to go through this to get to Rome in a sense. And so they had learning and they had knowledge and they listened to all sorts of things and they had as much media coming at them in different ways as anyone in the ancient world. And Paul has to look at them and say this, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. Do you see what he's saying here? The first step at being wise is to admit 
you're a fool. I don't like that at all. Uh, this, last, this semester has been a tough one as an instructor at FGCU, not because of the New Testament class. I'm just wanting to let you know that one. There's a few New Testament uh, students here. No, that, that's been great. What was tough is, you know, and, and Vicki can relate to this, we always want to feel like we're the experts, have our act together. And so when students come up and say, I don't understand, you're not teaching us enough, you're not giving us enough instruction, my first response is, you should know better. You know, you're, you grow up, it's college, or something like that. Rather than looking and going like, hmm, maybe I've got something to learn here. I hate that. Who wants to be in that position of vulnerability? Who wants to be in the position of realizing you feel like you're back in kindergarten again? And, and it's possible, it is just possible, that some of the biggest fools are those in higher education because we know so much in a certain area, therefore we think we're beyond. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> that comes as well, by the way, not just in higher education, but in religion. And probably the greatest fool of all, he'd probably admit it now, you know, he does admit it more or less in his letters, was the most religious, upright individual you can think of named Saul of Tarsus, the one who wrote to the Corinthians this letter. He knew what it meant to be a fool and to be a scoffer and to be rebellious and to look at this new way, the way, following Jesus, he thought was completely heretical, sectarian, and he set his entire life up to destroy it. And as he was going to, to Damascus, he encounters the living God Jesus Christ resurrected, who does not kill him on the spot, who does not rub him out and eliminate him, but just ask the question, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And at that moment, I'm sure he felt like a fool. And that is the moment he started to become wise. If you read the Bible stories, that one might be one of the most dramatic, but you will not find a character in the Bible who is wise to begin with or who comes along a linear path of one step at a time, growing in wisdom, and then all of a sudden is in wisdom with stature and knowledge. It is a broken path, a path of many setbacks and pitfalls. And it, there is... The only character I know that grows in wisdom, the Gospel of Luke talks about, is Jesus. The rest of us, we learn through the hard way, the broken way. We start out as fools. And by the way, the one who was wise, beyond... <laughs> his years, Jesus, did you realize he was considered a fool? Many times over, but especially when he got to the end of his life. Matthew 27, it says it this way, in the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, 
but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He's a fool. He thinks he can save others. He can't even save himself. We'll believe him. He says he's the son of God. Then why is he hanging on the cross? He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now and see if he, and I, he says, I am the son of God. And then notice, the same way the rebels who were crucified, they could be dying themselves, and they still hurl insult at Jesus, both of them. How foolish he was. But that's why Paul right here says in Corinthians, and it would be good to read those first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. He says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is more powerful than anything anyone else could do because it's the foolishness of the cross that saves us. You see, at the cross, we see the moral order of the universe that must be honored. Justice must be done for sin. And at the cross, we also see the brokenness of God's creation, how we could condemn a righteous man. And beyond that, we see the wisdom of God in the foolishness of giving his life away for us. Really, the foolishness of love and vulnerability and compassion for you and for me. I think the only way any of us can grow in wisdom is because we're learning it from Jesus, who became a fool for us, who would do anything to have us. I hope you're willing to learn from him. Because he's not in it to make himself powerful. He's not in it to make himself great. He's not in it to, for his advantage. His whole life was given for you. I hope this is sinking in today a little. And maybe we'll become a little more wise again and again. When you realize you can't be wise on your own, you're going to only learn it from Jesus. But then also, you can't be wise on your own. You're going to learn it by his spirit. And you can't be wise on your own until you learn it from others, because that's whom he uses. He uses other people. Proverbs was written to be read in community. In the Old Testament, most likely the men would be at the gates of a city where they kind of sat and talked and would be muttering and kind of simmering through different proverbs and people would come and say, hey, what should we do? I've got this situation. You don't have to be wise in yourself. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to do it. You can just be around others who also will be prayerfully considering situations. You learn a lot more when you're open to learning from others. You can't do it alone, which means why we push being a part of a huddle, why we push being involved in community. Because <laughs> a f someone who is simply a spectator is one thing. 
But when you're part of a group, even a fool can learn wisdom. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day, um, your goodness, your grace. Um, Lord, we know we've all been fools. Lord, we foolishly rejected you. Time and again, we've wanted to just go our own ways. All we like sheep have gone astray. <laughs> we have been stubborn and obstinate. We have been mockers and scoffers. We so easily can see the speck in someone else's eye and not the log in our own. Lord, forgive us. We know if we'd say we have no sin, that there's no fault in us. We're just deceiving ourselves. We're not deceiving you or anyone else. But Lord, as we confess our sin, you forgive us. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for that promise this morning, Lord God. So teach us. Make us teachable. Open us up to be lifelong learners and disciples, Lord Jesus, that we are willing to humbly receive your goodness from others, uh, to even learn from, uh, from any situation, Lord, and to draw closer through all of them to you. Lord God, we lift up to you a number of people in our midst, in our congregation, in our family of faith here who need your care. We place Kai right now, uh, this child in California into your care, Rebecca's uh, grandson, we ask as he will be undergoing surgery shortly, Lord, that you would be with those um, physicians, Lord, that you've given them so many skills that they could guide this brain surgery, Lord, to remove this tumor, and you will be glorified in what all happens there. We lift up to you, Lord, Kathy and um, Laurel and Dick, Lord God, and um, Ray, and all those who are facing illness right now, we pray your healing hand on them. We offer up Haley Hennehan's mother, Lord, and you know um, both her cancer diagnosis and her, her situations as she is trying to... Well, we thank you, Lord, for the fact that she has some great physicians around her. We ask that you would guide this situation. You would be glorified in it, and you would bless Haley and John and the family as they also work through these things together and draw from one another. Lord God, we lift up Bill, and as he will be traveling in just a couple of short weeks up to Minnesota, we pray for his um, safety, but also, Lord, we pray that you'd have him flourish with his family there and use him mightily as you've used him here. Lord God, um, we ask that you would um, use this ministry um, we don't always, we don't know. We don't know what to do at times, Lord. But we want you to take control. You don't need us, and yet you choose to use us, Lord. And we thank you for that. We pray that your will would be done and your kingdom would come in and among us. And so, Lord, we pray for that as we uh, receive our offering this day, that you would use what is given to you for your kingdom's sake and for your glory. And as we receive the Lord's Supper this day, that you would so inhabit our lives in such a deep and profound way that we are transformed, Jesus, into being more like you. All this we lift in your precious name, dear Jesus. Amen.